This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Greetings. I was trying to trying to talk like a slower. Well, we just turn up the gain on the microphone. Be like, hello. We could just talk. We could do ASMR. That'll be fun. No. Anyway, so yes, we are talking. We've already introduced what we're talking about. Kith Book Slua. Yeah. That would be great to do like an entire slew of concept around an ASMR artist of some kind. Yes, but maybe not a podcast episode. Based no, perhaps not. No. Yes, we're here to talk about Kithbook Slua by Richard Dansky, the rather famous Wraith developer. He's done so much stuff. I mean, yeah, he's done vampire stuff. He's done changeling stuff. He's done Wraith yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's done other changeling stuff. But this is, uh, of all the changeling things... This feels the most Richard Dansky. So. The Danskyist. Yes. Uh, developed by Ian Lemke still. It, this one actually has a publication date, 1997. Hooray. And once again, printed in Canada. This is a full-color book. Or is this a full-color book, or would you say like a three-quarters color book? It's got a very... i call it full-color. I mean, the art is certainly... Colorful enough. All of the art yes. by one person as well, which is a rarity, I yep. think, for Changeling books. But I really like when they do sort of palette swaps, like we saw in Shadow mm-hmm. Court. It was kind of the knotwork border was in villain colors, and here it's sort of mm-hmm. desaturated and gloomy looking. Plus, I think this is the only book where we get uh, in the sidebar borders, those little glass icons have been replaced by little insects or insects and arachnids, which mm-hmm. I think is really charming. So this opens with the, like, all of the books, maybe? <laughs> opens with a storytelling chapter, Fairy Tale, The Wickedest Boy in the World, or How the Slua Came to Whisper. All the Kith books, at least. It's, again, yeah. kind of like we saw with Kith Book Trolls. It's the origin story of where the Slua frailty came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I like this one better, though, because the troll one was too... It, it made sense that the trolls would have kind of an epic mm-hmm. quest fairy tale and the slew would have a more creepy fairy tale. But I like this. This may be my favorite opening fiction of any changeling book for sure. Maybe yeah. a role-playing game. I'm not sure. At least that I can think of. The only thing that really bugs me about it is the anachronism of the art because the tale is told like it was a long time ago, centuries ago, and yet we have this mm-hmm. like modern suburban kid in the artwork. Yeah, that's true. But otherwise, it's great. Yeah, it made it kind of confusing, and you're reading through it, and it's like... Do you want to give us a little overview of what the story's about? It's pretty straightforward. So, in the olden days, the Slua's role in human-fey relations was to be the enforcers of good behavior in children, which they would do by scaring them into good behavior. And they would be summoned by the parents, leaving out bowls of spoiled milk or bread baked with insects, etc. So this is the story of Michael, who's the most wicked boy in the world, doing things like 
torturing animals and burning things. And I mean, he really sounds like a psychopath in the making. So, you know, his parents are hard put upon. And after they fail again and again to get him to behave well, they call upon the Slua, who take him away and cover him with spiders and animate his shadow and all this stuff. However, Michael knows that the Slua are forbidden from actually harming any of the children that they abduct. And so he's laughing it all off until finally uh, the Slua named Agnes, is it Agnes Grayteeth? Sounds right, yeah. She decides enough is enough and takes out her dagger and she's ready to cut his throat. And that's the first thing that actually scares him. So as she brings the knife down, he screams in terror and she stops. However, the point just barely draws a drop of blood from his throat. And that's enough to violate their oath. The two author ride out and steal all their voices, which makes the Slua unhappy. So they send Michael home and say, never make us come for you again. Or to be more precise, they say, never make us come for you again. And that's the origin of how they lost their voices, or at least one possible version. Yep. It's much more interesting to me than like a troll who was in love and got fooled and then betrayed and then raged out and then lived in seclusion and then came back. Like this is much mm-hmm. more straightforward. Yep. And it, it's very much tying into the whole kith. It makes sense the whole kith to be like that. Yeah. And if you treat it like a story, it's perfect, right? Like a story a slew would tell you. Yeah. I like that there's also, there are subtle pieces under the surface. So the fact that the parents just know the correct rights for summoning slua or the sort of forms that their magic takes or the references to the others to whom the oath was sworn, presumably the Tuatadamon. Mm-hmm. It all gives this feel of a lived-in world, like these hints that suggest more outside the boundaries of the tale itself, which is something I always like in fairy tales. Yes. Yeah, and they have later in the later chapter they talk about about the story and other versions mm-hmm. of the story. Yeah, it's a great story. So yes, chapter one, a night's worth of history. So this is the history of the Slua. <laughs> For some reason, they're Russian now. Yeah, that's there, there's a few things I love this book and <laughs> there's a few things that I will just treat as a thing Slua say or a thing right. that some Slua may believe and not at all. Yeah, the Slua starting in Russia not just because the name is not, you know, or Eastern right. European. The name is not at all. Also, I don't think it's particularly folklore from there like it definitely can be like tying into like things that scare children in the night but that's that's a very broad set of folklore that's kind of almost universal so i won't present myself as an expert on slavic folklore i've done my bit of reading and i don't recall anything i mean certainly there are folk tales and folklore and fairy tales that do have creepy crawlies and entities like this but i'm hard-pressed to think of one that you know, is above and beyond what you would find in some other folklore. Mm-hmm. So, shrug. I mean, this may have just been the author or the author of the book wanting to yeah. tie things in with other stuff, but uh, I don't know enough about him. A choice. Yeah. But yeah, so we, yeah, we have the history here. They're Russian, born from Pierre. There's sort of a story about how they were disparate. It refers to them as spirits. I don't know if that's metaphorical of all sorts that didn't recognize each other. And then they they do sort of start to recognize they come together in this one stone circle and that's where the Tuatha de Danon come and kind of make them into Fae. 
It kind of reminded me of the monolith from 2001. Like, they got there and they became sentient. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's a good, it's a very straightforward example of the progression, the evolution that we've seen in other kits. It's spelled out a lot more here that they kind of, it kind of started with humans encountering something inexplicable, giving it a name and a reason for being, and then the inexplicable sort of becomes anthropomorphized and starts becoming aware of itself and incorporates the their reason for being into their essence. So you have these like proto-kith that evolve out of human dreams until the Tuatha come along and give them self-awareness. And I actually find that a really fascinating interpretation of like changeling metaphysics. And mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah, the whole question of what are the Tuatha did it on? Maybe we'll do an episode of that one day, but uh-huh. um, there's also the start on that same page where they're talking about this part of the history. It starts with one of the many uh, chimera descriptions that the slew associate with. And that's a heavy thing. And that's another theme in this book is creepy, crawly, spooky chimera that the slew are very well tied to, which I thought is neat as a yep. concept too. There's, there's so many, this book has so many different aspects of what the slew of like themes for a slua or things your slua could be focused on or all that stuff, but it all kind of still fits each other. Yeah. So, and some of it's, some of it's from before this book. And I think, but a lot of it is new to this kid's book and I like it. I'm here for it. Are you, are you talking particularly about old Goggy, the giant caterpillar? Yeah. It's the first example. Yes. Yeah. In here. Of, uh, Who's from Yorkshire, not Russia. So go figure. Yeah. That, that, that's another, if you want to nitpick the details on this, there's things that, uh, I do. Yeah, like at one point they say they range from the Isle of Skye to the Black Sea in the story. And then later it says they don't even make it to the British Isles till well after they, the story would have happened. So, you know, yeah. there's a... it's very fluid with its history. Yeah, this is definitely a story the Slua would tell a non-Slua, I think is the best way of interpreting it. Mm. Yeah, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But importantly, also... There's reference to how it wasn't until they left the Eastern European slash Russian lands and they first encountered trolls. That was the first kith besides themselves that they encountered, and they were welcomed into the Seely Court. So it implies that the Seely Court existed before the Slua did. The trolls were part of it already, and I don't know. I guess I'm not exactly sure how I feel but, about that. But they weren't they weren't automatically in it. It was a thing they right, found right, right. and joined. Yeah. And when movement. they lost their voices, that's when all the other ones started distrusting them. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a long time ago is when they lost their voices. So Yeah, well, definitely way before the shattering. It actually, it says if you treat this as like a reliable timeline, it was before the Middle Ages. Now, this is a White Wolf book, so that could mean anything. But Yeah. But then there's also a sidebar that says at least one scholar, Ethelred of Selkrest, has attempted to correlate the date of the legendary slang of the voices with the first legends of Abbey Lovers which is the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, like you said, very anachronistic. Which is not just a slew of thing, that's a changeling thing, so. Right, yeah. Before this book, we had commented out a few times, like, the sluas are always, like, the villains in these other changeling mm-hmm. books. And this is the first one where it's like, okay, it's from a slua perspective, but they definitely see themselves as kind of like the heroes of the story. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And, like, very virtuous of their virtues like honesty is a big one with them throughout manners manners as well yes yeah under the golden age section 
It says they arrogated the role of the last guardians of virtue, choosing to punish evildoers, especially children, with fear. Slua justice was ruled to be better than no justice at all, and so a clandestine alliance between parents and Slua was struck. Across Eastern Europe, of course. Mm -hmm. So even though they have a very a, a sense of honor and justice that's very unlike what the trolls have, they stick to it fiercely. And they're mistrusted and misunderstood, but they're sealy through and through, at least in their own eyes. Or at this point in history, there are reasons for them turning unsealy later on. But it seems like initially they were almost entirely sealy. Yeah. Well, I, and another thing about them is this book is having them as being, they're falling into the role of the distrusted monster, but that's their role. Like, mm. that doesn't mean they're bad. But there's also just a little thing here in the, well, the sidebar in the history too. The, about talking about that original story, the old slew of legend about a frightening that went horribly wrong is discounted by the majority of serious scholars. To quote <laughs> the noted she historian, Lord Enoch of Brandywine, sounds too damn much like a fairy tale for me to believe a word of it. Irony. Which from a fairy is, is great. Just <laughs> yeah. So on the subject of the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. we have notes about the Abbey Lovers and Buttery Spirits, which I think are quite far from the original myths about them, but I like the interpretation here. Essentially, they punish the gluttons, be they innkeepers trying to swindle their guests or corrupt monks hoarding wealth by eating up all the good food and spoiling the rest and whatnot. So it's, it's an interesting kind of evildoer punishment for those lean times of the Middle Ages. Yeah. But more interesting to me, there's a suggestion in here. So near the end of this section, it says, it became popular belief that the Slua actually devoured the cheap vittles provided by dishonest tavern hosts. Soon enough, this perception became the reality. While the bowl of sour milk and loaf of inedible bread had always been a token offering to Slua before, prior to the advent of the buttery spirits, Slua could take or leave that sort of fare. However, now the choice was disappearing. So it's the suggestion that the kits continue to be reshaped by human myth and expectation even after they gain sentience, which is mm -hmm. something we don't really see very often, but is a very, it's worth thinking about in the context of the game and Faye's relationship with humans. Yeah. It also gets into this weird theme of the Slua that doesn't really, it's like in the history chapter, it's, a bit less, it doesn't say it's gone, it says it continues in the modern day, but it's almost like a, a red cap level, I have to eat everything. Yeah. Like, like a gluttony focused, including a possible split off kith of the Kilmui? Kil, how would you say that? I think it's Kilmulis. Kilmulis. Where Kilmulis. these things with giant noses and no mouths, and they like stuff food up their noses and sniff it up, like snort it up. It's a. Uh, it's a hidden kith. Oh, and they haven't been heard of for more than a century, which means there was changelings in the 19th century that were stuffing food up their noses. I love it. Snorting all the food. Yep. Yeah. No mouths, giant nostrils. Not the most evolutionarily sound adaptation, maybe, but, you know. Yeah. Remind me of the centaur kiths some people have done. Mm. Yeah. And then we get some yeah. notes about the history with the wraiths. Which I'm going to defer to you on some of this because I've never played Wraith and you have. So, uh, it, uh, it given who the author is, it's not surprising. I, I mean, he mm. no more than I do, and uh, everything sounds right from everything I know about Wraith here. 
it's talking about the evolution of the dictus mortem and so again this is kind of reliant on the slowest starting out in eastern europe but it mm -hmm. has this note that the empire of stygia had not reached out its iron claws to organize this region of the shadowlands can mm -hmm. you explain what this means so like the underworld empire didn't like actually expanded through time yes so the underworld hmm. empire it's confusing but is is kind of co-located with physical geography on earth although that gets weird but at least they have their colonies that are and uh stygia was i can't remember if it was started in rome or actually predates it and was like greece beforehand or somewhere in greece beforehand but the name is greek so yeah but it, it definitely roman dead ended up there so and it covered during the height of the roman empire was basically controlled very similar territory to that and after the fall of rome still kind of controlled things so there's there's multiple empires of the dead so by now, it would have been part of under the control of Stygia, like by today. It makes sense with the timeline that it wouldn't have been at that point. If it roughly corresponds to Rome. Yeah. So Stygia had not yet reached Eastern Europe when the Slewis started talking to ghosts, which was before they met the trolls. So you can actually, yeah. I guess, plot kind of a rough timeline for some of this if you're so inclined. I mean, obviously yeah. it's... It's World of Darkness. All the chronology is kind of fluid. But. And we don't have a precise... I don't think we do. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not as into Wraith as, as I am into Changeling, for instance. But it, mm -hmm. there is some... Th there are other empires, though, too. But I yeah. can't remember anything about a anything that would be in Eastern Europe, like, to that degree. Or, mm. There was no, like, Rus Empire or something. Viking and Wraith, necessarily. So, An investigation shall be had. Yeah. And Stygia is also conquered by the time of the modern day uh, North America. Ah, go figure. Or at least the U.S. I can't remember exactly how far, but. Well, regardless of that, I do like the explanation of connections here with, they they mentioned that in the Celtic cultures, the fae and wraiths, the line between fairies and wraiths was already kind of blurred, which is true. There's, mm -hmm. the, you know, the underworld and fairyland not that they were exactly synonymous in some of the old stories, but they were very closely related. Whence yep. the name Slua, which means the host in reference to the host of the dead. So, but having that explanation underneath of the Slua being, you know, these creepy crawly night things, and so are ghosts. Ghosts are creepy crawly night things, or maybe floaty spoopy night things instead. And then you have burial mounds being interpolated with fey mounds so like having that link again it's that case of the human stories and the human lore informing what's going on with the actual kith so yep. who knows maybe they developed their ability to perceive and speak with ghosts even across the shroud after that kind of conflation was already underway mm -hmm. and i mean back then supposedly the shroud would have been much weaker yeah uh, and it also is influenced by human belief yeah, 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 around yeah. the dead and whatnot. So it all, it all kind of fits. And there's a sidebar that says they don't like the red caps. Yep. Which, uh, red caps are crude. Yeah. And then it talks about the shattering and they're mostly like, Oh, that was good. Well, good and bad for the slow. Well, they became scapegoats, which is bad. So, yeah. Yeah. So now they're more targeted as hated among the changelings. 
I feel like this section might benefit from explaining a little bit more why they were scapegoats. Like, I don't think necessarily people unfortunately need a reason to create a scapegoat, but I'm curious what the contemporary justification among the Fae would be. What I imagine mm. is they would argue, well, the Slua in the process of like scaring mortals cause mortals to kind of retreat into their, their banal homes and towns and shut away, shut themselves away from the dark and the unknown, which caused banality yeah. to rise and glamour to fade. And that seems mm -hmm. like it's the kind of poor logic you would expect from somebody trying to scapegoat somebody. So, yeah, you know, yeah. And they're also, I think they're also just accused of even more wild things. Oh yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Cause they're the, they're secretive. They tend to avoid a lot of interactions with other people. They do, and when they do, they want to, yeah. They're... Right. But specifically to cause a massive wave of banality that would harm them as much as everybody else, I think requires some no. very specific pretzel logic. No, yeah, exactly. But they wanted to blame somebody. Something else I would have liked to see is, actually, this is something I like to see in every kids book, if, if it were possible their perspective on the changeling way, like how do they conceive of it? How do they find out about it? Did they get together to perform it on themselves? Yeah. It'd be a really interesting kind of, I know it's kind of left deliberately ambiguous in the books, but yeah. And that brings us into the industrial revolution in the 19th century, which is when reading this book, I want a game set there <laughs> for the yeah. slew, especially. I know there are other World of Darkness games, but nothing changeling. Yeah. It mentions one little offhand comment that I'm like, huh? It's talking about rail lines going through ley lines. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that being a thing in changeling for sure. I think it pops up here and there, but yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that the Slua would really care so much about ley lines, mm -hmm. but sure. Yep. And it's... And it talks, it starts into industrial, the agrarian reform and the industrial revolution really gets into, I think it's a good explanation that's still consistent with C20 for an age of mostly banality coming in. Mm -hmm. And it explains why it would be so banal most of the time with it, well, still going, okay, but there's still these little hidden pockets of glamour kind of thing. There's a Calvin and Hobbes comic where... Calvin and Hobbes are like standing outside looking at the infinite night, which though very beautiful can also be very creepy and terrifying. And Hobbes has something like it, it makes you think about how insignificant mankind is or something like that. And the last panel is they're back in the living room and it's very bright and colorful and they're watching TV. And Calvin says, that's why we stay at home with our appliances. Mm -hmm. And that to me is sort of now, Granted, the banality of the Industrial Revolution was also born yeah. out of a lot of horror and injustice. Yeah, that's what it's getting into, too. Here. But yeah. I think there's also that element of the Industrial Revolution enabled ways of life. And it points out the Slua are kind of, at least at this point, anti-technology. So humans using technology to guard against the dark is something that would be an additional, I guess, vector of banality for the Slua, specifically. Yeah, although it does say they like the improved medical treatments, which I don't think they had at this. Did they have improved medical? I don't know. I don't need a medical historian to know how improved it was at this point. But yeah. And it also says they, they refuse to trust that these advances would be used for good rather than the sake of profit. And it's like, sure, but I don't think that that 
attitude is particularly slua i would imagine no all of the kiths would be except maybe the knockers would be worried about that yeah so. although being particularly cynical and yeah. also right is very slua so <laughs> but they got spiritualism and victorian dress codes out of it so oh know. yeah they got a lot out of it and they're actually like it it, it actually when it talks about for the slua it it actually seems like slua are coming ahead from this compared to other kith yeah or at least not as far behind. Yeah. Well, they got they got a lot of little creepy Carly places to be. They got a lot of fashion stuff. They got a lot of fog to move around in. Uh, it also, at this point, is getting into a lot of slew that aren't quite so nice. Mm-hmm. And you get assassins and all that type of thing going on. They just got tired of it. They had had it. Yeah. Who could blame them? Yeah, it says, no. well, the cities might have become rats' warrens of filth and poverty. The number of places to hide and secrets to learn grew exponentially. Given all mazes and hidey holes. Also talks about the increase of literacy. And gothic literature in particular. Yeah. It does point out that Poe was not a slua, but he should have been. Yep. And Dickens wasn't a slua, but he got invited to high tea, but only once because then he was monopolizing conversation. Mm-hmm. And they were big about child labor laws. They generally hated sailing in boats. Mm-hmm. And they found the like industrial pollution not so nice to deal with which you know they're not that they're rot not petrochemical smoke yeah they have a big section on the fog immigration but they didn't how they didn't end up in concordia what becomes concordia in big numbers compared to the other european fay until the 20th century there's a weird thing too in the immigration section where they mention the birth rate of slua increased dramatically in concordia for like 80 years in the late 19th and early 20th century and then mysteriously dropped again and then it mysteriously increased again after the accordance war so i assume this is a connection with the theory we'll get to in a bit about them being kind of fey on their last reincarnation but i'm curious why would explain that first part where exactly yeah so i'm just i'm I'm not sure if it's like did did tenement life have something to do with it i'm not sure so yeah or maybe just after there was a lot of Russian immigration. Oh, maybe it's just oh for eighty years. Uh, maybe they're saying just the the cycle. It was just, yeah, just people. Since there was, I guess it makes sense mathematically if that theory was true. Because like, that was like the population explosion. Well, okay, there was okay. There's a huge rush of of Kithane that are not Slua, right? And so Slua are way low. And, but then the Kithane are mm. dying and reincarnating. And if a certain percentage of them become Slua, you know, after a while you would I suppose, get yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. And then it says the return. Uh, a lot of them worked at NASA, which, okay, <laughs> I want a I 1950s NASA changeling game now. Add it to which, the list. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe 1960s. But, you know, like, because it's 1969, it's the moon landing. But, you know, all the way through the 50s and 60s, space, space kith. But they had predicted that she would return. And and what that meant. Yeah. Because another thing that's big with the slua here, which has sort of become a staple with the slua, but I, I don't, maybe it was part of it before, but, like, they're big on soothsaying prophecy. I think that's always been kind of an element. I mean, as part of their information broker trope. And then the Book of mm-hmm. Storyteller's Secrets, the first Slua character that we got as a PC option was heavy into Soothsay. Mm. Okay. And yeah, so they were trailing the other Kithane, and they're like, uh, no one's really listening to them. 
So Cassandra's. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh no, the moon and they said apparently other Cathay were like, oh no, the moon landing will just make banality even worse because of the technology and evilness. I'm like, okay. This all makes more sense if you consider that as a view that changelings have some to some of them. Yeah. And they mention also that for all the prophecy, the Knight of the Iron Knives was still a shock to them, and that that ultimate breach of decorum of justice is what led the Unsealy to kind of take the reins of the Kit's leadership for a while because mm-hmm. that was like the last straw. Oh, and it has another mention for if you wanted to do a different kind of crossover game, because I've seen this in other books too, but uh, if a Kithane is killed with cold iron, they could potentially become a wraith. Yes. Yeah. So if you want yeah, to run yeah. a wraith game with a formerly changeling wraith, you could do yeah. that. It was sort of a surprise. <laughs> Well, you've killed the fairy soul, right? So now they kill yeah. the fairy. Yeah, so I'm wondering what the wraith is, if it's almost like the remnant of the mortal. Is it just a wraith of a mortal with parted mists, essentially? Anyway, so they mention also that the war was kind of an anticlimactic ending for the Slua. David was identified and then crowned, and then there was a peace treaty. And the veterans on the commoner side conveniently forgot the Slua's aid of being assassins and couriers and spies and harriers and all of that, because it wasn't honorable. I think this this is... I love this rare Changeling book that just dunks on the trolls constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And you know, so this was the first kids book I ever bought. It remains my favorite for gothic teenage me it was Mm -hmm. it was wonderful and i think that that is part of what has informed my distaste for the trolls all these years i've never Mm. played a troll i probably never will oh i've had Uh, fun playing trolls but i like playing characters i don't necessarily like but they're so unfair though yeah anyway i guess that's the big irony of their they're like they're basically like if you want to play a she but not deal with right. the colonialism <laughs> part of it if you have too much self-respect to play a she but you want to play a she anyway yeah if you don't want to deal with the whole class structure yeah that's yeah the... that's the history section more or less the, the slua remain fatalists about their chances of surviving the coming winter but they they yeah. have kind of that beautiful decay vibe going on yeah they think that they'll be the winter I'm, I'm curious what they think winter will be if it's like subtlety will not go well in winter i'm like but it's all banal like what does that look like in their heads? Mm. That takes us on to chapter two. Th- this chapter I like. I would say it's very good for Slua NPCs. Mm. Like there's some useful stuff for PCs as well, but a lot of it's like, I don't know how to apply a lot of this advice for player characters in a tabletop changeling game of a Slua mixed with like other kiths in your player character group yeah at least in the start it's pretty much it pretty much says the slua are information brokers in about 16 different ways yep so if you don't want to play an information uh, broker but it does really good job explaining how to do that scene like i read come yeah oh like, yeah 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 if i want to even if it's not playing a slua game like oh this is how you do an information broker npc for the pcs yeah that's that's true yeah, yeah but they can be other things too and we have a handy yep. list they make good assassins, they make good terrorizers, they make good couriers, they make good spies. I'd like to see some other stuff too, because those all kind of feel like 
variations on a theme. Well, we get more later with the, with the, That's true. And the templates. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's the high T protocol, which is very important. Uh, someone who's run change, played in and run changeling LARPs. This is very important to get down for your slew of PCs. Yes. And NPCs in the proper protocol for that, for your little side scenes. I, I too have role played high T. It is one of my favorite things. Yep. And it has one of the best sentences in the book, which is prematurely aging one's dishes is déclassé. Yep. Such a put down. We get a story from a child psychologist where I don't think the child psychologist is necessarily evil, which is a good change in this edition of Changeling. Although they may be, it's hard to tell, but they're definitely creeped out, which is, is nice. Oh, no, no. This is this is the mother talking to the child psychologist. Uh, okay, yeah. So you could still be evil. Yeah, we don't know. But it, it's not hinging on the psychologist being evil, which is a good step up for Changeling at this point. Yeah. And it's like a creepy girl just talking to people that aren't there, but then she saw someone briefly, things that were there. Yeah. You know, she just hides up in her room talking up there, and I don't hear anyone answer. I liked it. And then we get into, this is the first of the books we've gone through where I like the romance section. <laughs> I'm, I'm indifferent to it. It's fine, yeah. but I don't really need it to be there. Yeah. They're big on truth. Yeah. And they have in the sidebar, the story of Sir Cole, which is one of my favorite little in-universe fictions, mm-hmm. where Sir Cole stated that he believed the Slua Lucas to be a liar. And Lucas, having sworn that he was telling the truth, was so insulted, you know, he strode out. And then the next day, basically just started doxing Sir Cole and eventually providing evidence of his own treachery. Mm -hmm. With the last line of, or I could be lying. Mm -hmm. But by that point, it was too late for Sir Cole. He had already been ousted and made pariah. Yeah, no, that was a great story. Never, never call a slua a liar if they have sworn to you that they are telling the truth. Yeah, there's a bit on the courts. Unseely are more sociable than Seely. Yeah, then it just goes down to Slua. If you if you had to pick a court for each kith, this this book's making the argument that Slua are soft Seely. Like, yeah, despite the gossip. Mm-hmm. I like the note about the Unseely Slua, where it's basically they're kind of apolitical relative to their comrades, especially in the Shadow Court as well. But for the Unseely, the tenets of the Unseely Code, they don't really care about, except for honor is a lie. Because when you see what Seely so-called honor has ever gotten them, of course they would mm-hmm. hate that idea. So, whereas the Seely are of the court, but not with it. They hold yep. the same tenets, but they don't show it openly. There's also a sidebar about the hidden war between spies and assassins uh, on both sides of the divide, Seely versus Unseely. And that's a chronicle I want to see. Just straight up mm-hmm. slew a mission impossible, you know? Yes. Then we get the Shadow Court, where it's sort of implying that much more slew are interested and know about the Shadow Court than are in it. Although some are in the Shadow Court, too. Uh, and some get blackmailed into joining the Shadow Court. Yep. By other slew, potentially. Yeah. It also notes uh, that they're, they seem more willing to put up with their Thaline version than most other kids. It's like occasionally they will offer a bogey a little bit of shelter. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of like knockers and boggins work even more with it, the unseelie ones. But Maybe. Yeah. Certainly not trolls and ogres, though. They're never going to get along. No. But speaking of those other kits, we get 
a hefty dose of perspectives on them. The Boggins are obviously good for getting and spreading information. Yep. There's reference to a sport that the NCLA play called tobogganing, where Slua picks a boggin and feeds her some false information that's too juicy to keep a secret. And then they get together a couple weeks later to see whose rumor has gotten farthest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like they don't exactly dislike the Boggins, but they definitely don't respect them. Um... Yeah. Interestingly, there's this sentence that says, A Boggin who gets drawn into the web of an unsealy crawler will be ravaged of any useful information. Ravaged with a capital mm-hmm. R, implying that yep. changelings can ravage other changelings. Does it say they can't anywhere? I think we had this happen before and we didn't come to a conclusion. <laughs> yeah. So. I go with you can. Yeah. But that's I, like the only form of epiphany you could do to another changeling, really. Yeah. It would be interesting like, if Unseelie could only ravage other Kithane and Seelie could only muse other Kithane or something. Hmm. But anyway. And then there's Ishu, which they actually have a lot of respect for. And Envy. Yep. The, the view of knockers is pretty much every other kid's view of knockers. <laughs> Their view of puka is pretty much the other kid's view of puka. <laughs> I'm pretty sad that they're so, they find puka so intolerable, which it, it makes sense. I mean, they, yeah. they value the truth and they value their word and everything. And the puka are kind of not the opposite of that, but often mm-hmm. seem to be the opposite of that. So I, I do still wish... I feel like we need a good changeling kith of trickster who are always honest. Mm-hmm. As in, they oh, the words that they say are always literally true, but they're a trickster. I feel like that's somewhere, but yeah. yeah. Maybe it was in the player's guide, C20. Anyway. And then red caps. They also, it's the other, everyone else's view of red caps. There is a nice note, though, about the red caps and the slua representing tangible versus intangible fear. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. cool way of framing them. Satyrs, I think, have the most interesting right up here. Because it's kind of yeah. two very not unexpected ways that they engage with the satyrs. So for the more boorish satyrs, they'll do things like dare them to sleep with people and then get the information that one only gets from a lover's bed. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's valuable to the slua. But then for the more sort of stoic intellectual satyrs, they're one of the few non-slua that will be invited to high tea. So they'll just have these intellectual yeah. debates. Yeah, it, it seems consistent. Like if you had a game of just slua, issue, and satyrs, they could all kind of get along pretty well, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm into that. There's also the note that slua and satyrs getting together in bed themselves take advantage of the slua's bendy bodies and occasional prehensile tongues. That's also come up in the change of LARPs I've been involved in. But. Ugh. Lines and veils. <laughs> not not acted out, just described. No. Yeah, alluded to. There we go. Well, thank goodness for that. The she. Slua don't like most she. I don't know. I didn't find their dislike of the she very deep. I kind of wanted something mm-hmm. more. But yeah. it's pretty much what you would expect. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're arrogant. None of it felt wrong. But no, yeah, no, no, no. Easy. No. There is a note that the sort of mature Sealy Slua appreciate the order of the Sealy court and that the Unsealy enjoy the kind of gadfly role that the Unsealy houses often have, where they kind of needle the Sealy court about their values. Yeah. Yeah. It would have, would have, might, if they put a bit more about, okay, they actually find the court stuff entertaining because they yeah. do, right? Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't go into it's not very kith specific. Mm-hmm. And then trolls. 
Yeah. No love lost. Yep. I am curious about the note at the end of page 39 where it says, Unseely Slew would take a lesson from the genie and are often experts at manipulating honor-bound trolls to their own benefit. I don't know what that means. Must be referencing some folklore story. that. Yeah, there must be something in the Thousand and One Nights or something where a djinn like, yeah. manipulates someone into breaking their own oath or something. I'm not sure. I mean, that shows up again in so many things about oaths, different folklore, but yeah. The, the, yeah. yeah, the genie specifically. I'm not sure. And then next page, we get the Galleon, but there's also a little sidebar saying that they definitely use tunnels, but it's not like they like always hang out in tunnels. Or live there. Yep. Although I'd still like having... The, the idea of you go through one of those tunnels and you end up with like a little slew of apartment that they've sort of built underground. Yeah, but the first strong rain and, you know... Well, it depends on where, but yeah. Yeah, in in some place like New York City or London or something. I don't know. I've lived in New York long enough to know that I wouldn't want to live anywhere near the sewers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't mean the sewers necessarily, or no. or the tunnels, or any of the above, or below. I, I suppose. Maybe I just really like Ninja Turtles as a kid. So. There you go. But there's very little on the Galleon too. I mean, there's yeah. their paragraph on the Nunahian and one on the Inanime, and that's it. They have more dealing with the Inanime, but. Not enough information to do anything with that. Right. Uh, they sometimes talk to Nosferatu, but not that often, or other vampires. I love that it says, occasionally a slua gets taken to see the fungus gardens and other Nosferatu treasures. So now I want some kind of crossover with a Nosferatu who keeps a fungus garden. Yes. I think I remember that from some Nosferatu book. Werewolves, where they like talking to glasswalkers online. But otherwise, stay away. Yep. And then it says, for mages, only the restless dead have more contact with the slua than do the workers of magic. Okay, so there we go. See, Terry, you need to bring in more slua. I don't know that this is particularly unusual, though, because I imagine yeah. mages have more contact with the fae than most other splats. You know, yep. like either mages or werewolves, probably not both, but maybe. Very few fae hang out with vampires, and the slua are really the only ones who hang out with ghosts, so... Yep. And then they like they like teasing hollow ones. I like that, too. Yeah. And then wraiths. We don't get a rehash of the mechanic from the player's guide about them, how, how they see and hear wraiths, but mm -hmm. kind of expands on that, gives us details about the slua ritual of the dead, where they renew their, their pacts at Samhain. Here's a question. Is this a first or second edition book? This is very near the end of the first. So second was yeah. probably already in development. Because it feels more second edition to me. You can tell by the chonkiness of the network border. Mm. This has a chonky one. Therefore, it's first edition. And to close out the chapter, we have the theory. What are your thoughts on the theory? I don't like the theory. <laughs> I think it... Um... Not only do I not like it like in-game, like they did not like it as the actual canonical truth, I think it has so many holes on it that it like I have too much respect for the slua to, for the most of them to take it seriously. Like it just doesn't work. Like, okay, remembrance is a thing in Changeling, right? <laughs> just to clarify for listeners, the theory is yeah. that Faye, when they reincarnate, they start as she, and then they lose some of their energy with each reincarnation going down and down the ranks of commoners until the Slua are their last incarnation. It's a little mm -hmm. bit Hoovian, I suppose, but it also makes me wonder what they had in mind for the order in which one moves through the kits. 
Like, yep. is it you go she, then troll, then bargain, then issue, blah, 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 et, yeah. cetera, et cetera. Is there a Clericon stage? What about Silver? Right. Like, yeah. And then they kept adding kiths. So <laughs> we'll just, we'll chalk it up to the crackpot mutterings of a nihilist in the kith. Yeah. Even though there is then later a flaw you can take representing, you know that this is the truth. Well, we'll yeah. get to that flaw in a bit, but uh, yeah. That's it for chapter two. What were your overall thoughts? Oh well, yeah. Besides the theory and, but yeah, in general, I really like it still. It's it, again, less, it still seems mostly, mostly not entirely, but how to make a slew of NPC this chapter. But. Yeah. But it's well balanced. I mean, it kind of touches mm-hmm. on a lot of the different aspects, you know, they're, personalities their interactions their external interactions their philosophies like it it covers a lot of bases mm-hmm. so now we have chapter three the slua everyone knows it's really not everyone no but it's about the famous slua yeah i'm always kind of on these like ah, okay these chapters yeah i've i've basically i don't think i've ever used one of the signature mm-hmm. kith members in any game like, if I used one, I'd probably want the character sheet, for one thing. The only one I think I've seen come up is that a storyteller for a game I was in had Rotgut Redhelm as kind of like a presence. But that was mm-hmm. a very yeah. meh on Metaplot. Meh to plot. Yeah. So we have a 13 Toes, which is one of the great terrorizers. And it says, well, the original Alexi is long dead. Every generation spawns a new terrorizer. I'm like, again, why don't they just have him reincarnate? It'd be better. But yeah, which presumably he is. But yeah, that's another thing. Then they wouldn't really be Slua. They'd be all these other kiths. They just, it's a state of being. It's like being elderly, not like a people. What I suspect, too, is that this was the origin of the rehash of the Shihain in C20. So Alexei of the 13 Toes, or 13 Toes by itself, sounds like a mantle in C20 mm-hmm. terms. So I wonder if yep. that was the root for that idea. That works, yeah. Anyway, then there's Emi Randall, a trusted advisor to King David, one of the few slua who moves openly in face society. And I assume they mean society in terms of, like, balls and functions and things because mm-hmm. otherwise slua just don't interact with any other changelings eh? well they have all the examples where they don't well openly maybe they just don't like walk down streets and I guess so. get on the bus <laughs> yeah todd the gray and he an assassin slua assassin with a top hat. who's just big on killing nobles eleanor dell faster than hell who's my favorite out of all of these because she's this very sort of I don't know. I don't know what you would call that outfit. It's kind of like late 19th century traveling clothes, I suppose. Yeah. But I love her outfit. And she is a courier par excellence. We have old Boris. He's just like a serial killer, basically. I think hillbilly hillbilly stereotype, I think, is what they were going for. Yeah, okay. And then Nyx is just conspiracy theorist deep throat whatever it it feels less charming than it would have felt than it felt back when i first read these books nowadays the whole conspiracy theory there but important to remember that this was kind of during i guess season three or four of the x files yeah which is another game that i would love to see played with slua anna the monster maker i find her fun she's my other favorite yeah theatrical set designer turned chimerical horror crafter 
Yep. She can make living chimera. Maybe the, no one knows how she managed to do it, but she'll do it for others for the right price. So she could basically make monster chimera for you. And then Kiss Book Knockers is like, hold my ale. Yeah. So I like Anna the Monster Maker, but I'll say that. She and Eleanor. So then we get chapter four, The Templates. Mm-hmm. Another chapter that every kid's book, I'm kind of like, eh, all right. But this one I liked better than most than the other. Not that it's my favorite chapter of this book by any stretch, but I think it's my favorite like template chapter of a splat book that I that I can think of. That's true. I guess I could see myself playing almost any of these. The exception being the professional snitch who works by day yeah. as a corporate research specialist, and I keep thinking, how are you not covered in banality? Yeah. There's a, it did kind of, the virtual romantic just makes you go, oh, you mean. Romantic with a capital R. Yes, but she's like, so many people these days, it's like, oh, you're online. Like, okay, that's not the, it made sense for the time, but nowadays it'd be like. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't aged well. (laughs) I mean, computer five and stuff, but I'm like, okay, she's like super hacker programmer, but also like really into fanfic. Wait, she's. uh. She's Abby from uh, NCIS. NCIS. God. Yeah, she's she's kind mm-hmm. of like a cipher for all of 90s internet culture. Mm-hmm. There's a depressed poet template which features a character in it named Trent, who is kind of like, says, the one who introduced you to Bauhaus and Susie. So as I read this section, I was listening to Nine Inch Nails, which I, again, found very serendipitous. But it says you have celebrity status with the Cole and Neil Gaiman set. That is a set I will admit to being part of. Mm-hmm. I'm a second generation part of that. (laughs) Excellent. So then there's a childling courier and the mistress of spiders, who is everyone's favorite because obviously she is. I can recall at least three different PCs based on her as a concept that I've played games with. It's the spider doffing its top hat to her that while she knits a sock from its spider silk, that makes it for me. Yeah. Although two things that bug me, her character sheet, she has strength one, dexterity one, stamina one. And I'm thinking, how did you get away mm. with that? Yeah. And then two, the artwork. She doesn't have a torso. She just has more neck, which it's a slua. So, okay. But yep. you know. she got a butt. Well, she has a bustle. Oh, okay. Can't, can't be said for sure. And that's the templates. Yeah. And we have chapter five, secret told, secrets told after midnight. Dum, dum, dum. Starts with merits and flaws. Pretty straightforward. I think these are yeah. all fantastic. Yeah. And we did have a listener question uh-huh. from Ferret about the merits and flaws. I'd uh, love to know more about the lore of the slua and maybe delve into the merits and flaws about them, such as the prehensile tongue. I, I like most of these merits yes. and flaws. Should we just briefly scuttle through them? So you have dexterous toes, where your toes work like hands. Fun for flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, night sight. Or you can always see in the dark. Actually useful. Very useful. Yep. And then the infamous prehensile tongue. There's a nice little picture of Asua doffing his top hat with a tongue. Mm-hmm. So you have to roll dexterity plus athletics difficulty seven to use it like an extra limb. And you can give a disgusting, but I guess not damaging slap or a poke yep. in the eye. I'm just picturing one holding a, holding like a pistol. <laughs> it could happen. Or like a, um, a dead man switch for an explosion. Mm-hmm. A dead tongue switch. We have friend to spiders. This is one that's come up a lot in games I've been in. Probably the most popular slew of merit. 
yeah, you could talk to spiders and other arachnids and get information from them. I think that's neat. What's the statistic? Like there's seven spiders in every square meter of the planet or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's one something. of those things people say. It's not a, but anyway, yeah. There's fly fingers, which is the wall crawling. Although you can't glove your fingers to use it. Dead friends, this this should be a background. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's just yeah. ghost allies, the end. And then we have Puddle, which is a five-point merit. And if your game has fighting in it, it's ended up being pretty overpowered in games that I've been in. Yeah, but. it's fantastic. But yeah, it is. it definitely bends the game around it. It has a lot of gravity. Maybe six points. I'm not sure. But I think five's too low. Yeah, they hadn't. They were they were pretty set on one through five for a while, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the games. Then we have flaws, and probably the only guess we're being gregarious is a flaw. Yep. Kind of amusing. Yeah. Uh, short attention span, which frankly should probably be a potential flaw for any changeling. I think it is. Like, is it twenty? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Loudmouth, you can't keep a secret. Which I guess it's like. Is it, doesn't Bard's Tongue have a clause where it says occasionally you just blurt things out? Is this kind of like the amplified Bard's Tongue? Although not supernatural. You have to know the thing that you're blurting out. Mm, I suppose that's true. Then Recluse, which is going to be extremely difficult to play in any yep. non-solo game. Yep. Hagrin, where you have a wraith who's really mad at you and following around i'm like i think that could probably be covered with existing flaws but okay like haunted for example yes <laughs> that's essentially the same thing yeah and then the worst flaw of the book yeah it, it, it knows too much you know the truth of the slua so first of all neither of us like that thing but i, I think even if you're fine with it it's a bad flaw and it yeah. gives you five freaking points it's five freaking points to have an excuse to never play the game right you're just like too upset about the whole thing to ever go on any quests or requests. It's a little paradox. It's it's you're it's like make for five points you can make the most annoying character in a role playing right. game ever. Right, exactly. Yeah, the flaws overall, I'm not nearly as fond of as the merits. So mm-hmm. the treasures, on the other hand. Oh yes. So we have treasures and tools. So we have blow guns, but this is just the stats for a blow gun. It's not really a treasure. And then Enchanter, which is an amazing story hook, but it's a dreaming-derived yeah. hallucinogen that can be, for example, used for blowgun darts. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this still makes sense in C20, but it should, so I like it. Yeah. And then I love all these treasures. Yeah. So the level one treasure, level one, mind you, is one of the freakiest things, I think, in the canon. Mm-hmm. Where you release a bunch of tiny spiders into someone's orifices and they go to work gray vest where it's like a vest that you wear covered in twisty thorny vines it has an ensnare cantrip yep and it can actually do damage to people too don't hug a slua wearing it yeah you will get brambled then there's the listener which is a disembodied ear that the slua can use to listen from afar uh gloves of night which makes your hands sort of manipulate around well, it liquefies them into any shape. It liquefies them into, like, whatever. You can use them as lockpicks and all sorts of weird things. Perfect for that slew of espionage game. Yep. Then the word spider, which I was actually not as wild about. 
It's a, mm-hmm. a perfect truth diviner that digests texts and excretes the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, all right. I'm not really inclined to spend five points for that, but sure. Yeah. And then cold light. Which does basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But also you can stab people with it. So. That's true. It's an icicle dagger. I would assume it also kind of dispels all illusions and mind magic and all of that. Yeah. And that's the guest book. There's a character sheet for it. Back cover is neat too because it's got a picture of one of those listeners. Yeah. Oh, it's so fuzzy. Thing. I am I yeah, am a recovering well, arachnophobe, so oh, for a while I think this book helped though. I think this book actually helped. Yeah, there's a lot of cute spiders in it. So they really so, are. They really, really yeah. are. So, what are your thoughts? Okay, on overall thoughts of this book? I really like it. Both of us have this very similar view on it. I think. Mm-hmm. Think of any disagreement we have over it. Yeah. It sets the tone much better than Trolls did, and it's yep. what I think of as the default kiss book. So yep. It's like even with that whole glaring plot thing, there's a few issues with it, but there definitely as a storyteller, you can just get around them quite easily. So it's by, by plot thing, you mean the reincarnation thing? Yeah. Okay. And honestly, it wasn't even that glaring, I feel like. It's just that one note and that one flaw, which you can very easily gloss over. Yeah. I just want to say, we also had the question for Count Clockwise. What are your opinions on the ideas proposed in this book that it's the very last generation of Kithane and that no one will ever reincarnate again? Well, I think we've answered that question. Stuff and nonsense. That's what it is. Yes. But as you said before, I like it as a theory the Sluit in-game might have. I just don't think it's a five-point flaw. Yeah, it could, it could be... I don't think that flaw would work for any theory. Right. Making it didactic like that makes it seem like it's the truth. So, well, it also just is a bad. You don't want your any player taking that flaw, but it also compels your character to be just a terrible character for a game. That, a nihilist. Yeah, yeah. I think you can just do that with a legacy and call it a day. Yep. Anyway, my only sort of not complaints but wishes are that I wish honestly they had made more use of the space because there were pages that had almost nothing on them. There were lots of just splash pages. And given the quality of the writing in this book, I wanted more. So mm-hmm. that's that's the only thing. I mean, leave them wanting more, that's good. Yeah. I like the templates, but I also think they could have gone in some more directions as well. Because when, when I've played mm-hmm. with Slua, I didn't really want to be any of these, so I just kind of made my own thing. And I mm-hmm. liked that better. I liked being an atypical Slua more than I think I would like being an atypical member of another Kith. So. Yeah, but I mean, you do want a typical in the thing too like if they had the like slew a party girl or something i mean that'd be atypical but well i i played a goth dj so you know yeah anyway which is fine for character i just don't think it would make sense for anyway so So, yeah recommended yeah and so it brings up our introduction to october for our podcast (laughs) yes it will be the season of salon by the time you listen to this so this has been changeling the podcast I've been your host, Puka. And I've been your host, Josh. You can reach us at changelingthepodcast.com. Email us at podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. In the show notes, you can find a link to the Discord where we hang out and talk changeling all day. Mm-hmm. We're on Twitter at changelingcast. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Changeling the Podcast. And maybe you'll just see us skulking in the shadows in some corner somewhere, like a slew does. Yeah. Or not see us. That Yeah, that's actually, that's the better one. Sorry. Good night. Oh. Oh, that was. <laughs> my heart went all a flitter flutter. Yeah. yeah. Until next time.
Keep on dreaming. If you're a fan of all the things that go bump in the night, not to mention the things that go hiss, slurp, or screedily do, please stay tuned for a couple other horror-themed episode ideas that we have coming up for this spoopy October season. And as always, we are grateful to our patrons for their support of the show. Derek, Raz Caboose, Sandjigger, Seja, and Terry Robinson. If you'd like to help us keep generating Changeling content, please stop by our Patreon at www.patreon.com changelingthepodcast and or leave us a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Many thanks. Here come the outtakes. I actually really hate ASMR. Um, <gasps> Blasphemy. It's like chalk on chalkboard squeeching, kind of nails on chalkboard sound almost effect on me. Anyway. Some of them are really amusing, though, when it's like people making meringue and stuff. It just, it, yeah. I can't help but laugh because it's, it feels so unseemly to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like enforced intimacy with people I'm not wanting that with. Is what it yeah. feels like. But anyway, we're not here to talk about ASMR. That'll be our other podcast. Okay, we need to do, I'm just saying this idea. I don't know if we're going to cut it. Okay. We need to get together like all the other World of Darkness podcasters, or at least a lot of the other ones, like such as Terry, and we need to have a big debate, like panel episode, that's just focused on what the heck the soul is in the World of Darkness. Oh man, oh man, that's going to be a series. <laughs> but I'm into it. I'm all for it. And if we don't agree, we can fight it out in a steel cage. Yeah, that'll make for great radio. Uh. Yeah. Did you ever read those, um, like, two-sentence horror stories that were popular a while back? Oh, creepypastas? I, it wasn't exactly creepypasta. It was, like, there was some kind of... It might have started as a Tumblr thread or something, but it was, like, share your best two-sentence horror story. There's a whole yeah. thing of it. And I think um, my favorite, there was one that was, like, you know, I, I kissed my son goodnight, and he said, Daddy, please check under the bed for monsters. I knelt down and looked under the bed, and my son was under there with a terrified face, saying, "Whispering, Daddy, there's someone in my bed." Mm. And that yeah, that like you know that was <laughs> that was good. That kind of thing. It it is really unsettling. So yeah.